Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast, the podcast focused on helping civil engineering professionals succeed by exposing them to interesting civil engineering projects and successful civil engineering professionals around the world. Hosts Anthony Fasano and Christian Knudsen had successful but unconventional civil engineering careers and now focus on helping civil engineering professionals achieve their goals in work and life. All right, and uh, now it's time for the Civil Engineering Podcast of the Week segment of the show, where we discuss an interesting civil engineering project, either past, present, or future. And uh, by the way, you can submit your own project at civilengineeringpodcast.com forward slash projects, and we just might feature your project on this podcast. We're always interested to hear about unique, historical, or challenging civil engineering projects that can provide knowledge to all the listeners, and that link again is civilengineeringpodcast.com forward slash projects. So I'm really excited to bring to you today's project, primarily because I'm sitting literally on the first level of it, and that it happens to be the Eiffel Tower located in Paris, France. I'm literally here on the, the first level, looking across out towards the south, and it's absolutely gorgeous here. A little cloud-covered, but the uh, temperature is wonderful, and although the crowds are a little bit crazy here today, nonetheless, absolutely awesome to be here, and I'm really excited to be bringing you uh, actually this project. Um, so you'll be able to see a lot of the photos from today's uh, visit to the tower on the uh, show notes, and uh, you'll, I think you'll probably enjoy those quite a bit. So when uh, Gustav Eiffel's company built the Paris's uh, most, you know, this most recognizable monument for the 1889 World's Fair, many regarded this structure with a lot of skepticism, but obviously today the Eiffel Tower continues to serve an important role in television and radio broadcasts and more importantly it's literally it's the icon of Paris and when anybody thinks of Paris they immediately think of the Eiffel Tower and that's that's what it's really all about it's awesome so the tower is about 324 meters or 1063 feet tall which is about the same height as an 81 story building and in fact when it was completed the Eiffel Tower was the tallest structure in the world a distinction that it held until the Chrysler building was completed in 1930 at its base which is 125 meters on a side and the base of the pillars aligned with the four points of the compass and uh, we made access climb the uh, stairs through the south access and then you actually when you leave you go out the north access north pillar so pretty pretty awesome uh, the final design called for more than 18,000 pieces of puddle iron which is a type of wrought iron used in construction and about two and a half million rivets and you'll be able to see a bunch of those in the uh, photos that are on the show notes here so when this project was constructed the total cost of materials and the construction itself was about 8 million francs or about 1.5 million dollars and that's about 36 million dollars in 2015 uh, dollars but really there's no way that it could possibly be built for that amount of money in, in today. It took about two years to build it, and just alone, the labor costs would probably swallow up almost all of that. And uh, with the capacity, you know, had the potential when it was initially built to have about 10,000 fee-paying visitors in the tower at any one time, and the costs were recovered in the first year the tower was being opened to the public, um, which uh, which meant that Gustav Eiffel became a pretty rich man as a result of it. So the tower was completed on the 31st of March, 1889, and was constructed in about two years, a little over two years, which is pretty much a veritable technical and architectural achievement. Built in 21 months, the tower was delivered on time and if you've ever been involved with a building under construction I mean think about this the typical schedules for a building are about 24 months from site prep to final commissioning uh, today and that's for something that's not even remotely as complex as this tower so one of the interesting challenges that Eiffel had in building the 
sellers, it has to be painted, and it has to be painted by hand every six or seven years to protect it from corrosion. A process that takes about 60 tons of paint and two years itself to complete, and it's done by a cadre of 25 painters who are pretty much unafraid of heights and possess some pretty acrobatic agility. Unfortunately, it's Saturday today, and I don't see any of them in action, but uh, looking up towards the top of this tower, man, I get anxious just thinking about the fact that they'd be doing this, and you'll see some photos from the uh, from the first level or standing out on the glass, and it's... Uh, and that's just the first level, it's pretty far down. Um, some other pretty interesting facts, it was built for the 1889 Paris Exposition and it wasn't intended to be permanent. They planned to demolish the thing. It was going to be demolished again in 1909 but was saved because it was repurposed as a giant radio antenna. You have to take 1,665 steps to get all the way to the top. We made it just to the first level and that's probably about it for us today. We'll come back and visit it one day and, and take the elevator up, which you can do by making reservations. Um, and there's about 500 employees that are responsible for its daily operations and on average about 7 million people visit the tower annually. Most of them look like, quite frankly, they were here today and I think I've got some photos of those as well. So that you know, benefits of society, when the tower opened in 1889 as the grand entrance to the Exposition Universelle, a World's Fair that commemorated the 100th anniversary of the French Revolution, the Eiffel Tower has attracted since then over 200 million people to marvel at this unique engineering design and engineering feat. And in terms of paid visitors, the Eiffel Tower ranks number one in the world. So I hope you enjoyed this first civil engineering project brought to you from Europe. We've gone international here in the Civil Engineering Podcast. I'm actually now based out of Stuttgart, Germany, and uh, look forward to bringing you more civil engineering projects from this side of the pond, either in person or brought to you from my office, um, and I'll be bringing those to you over the future. So let's, with that, wrap up today's civil engineering project, and we're going to move into the main segment of the show. Now it's time for this week's civil engineering conversation, and this week's going to be a little bit different in that I'm going to stick with you in solo fashion. I hope you enjoyed the project segment on the Eiffel Tower, because naturally I did, because I was actually there. It was really enjoyable, wonderful, beautiful day out there, and a great opportunity for me to be able to see that amazing structure yet again and do it with the family, and most importantly, be able to record the project segment that was able to be shared with you in today's uh, episode. So that's the first of many projects that I'm going to be bringing to you from Europe now that I've relocated to Germany. And for my previous nine years of living in Europe, I know that there's no shortage of amazing civil engineering works, and I'm really excited about the opportunity to be sharing these with you over the future episodes of the Civil Engineering Podcast. And I plan to hit not only on historical and ancient civil engineering marvels, but new projects as well. And in fact, one that I'm really looking forward to getting into is Stuttgart Einsenswanzig, or Stuttgart 21, which is a major reconstruction of the main train station, or the Hauptbahnhof in Stuttgart, but more on that project in a future episode, because in today's episode. I'm going to dive a little bit more into Gustav Eiffel's work, not only because he was the engineer behind the tower that bears his name, but because of the other works and contributions to the civil engineering profession that Eiffel uh, provided us with. So Alexander Gustav Eiffel was born in Dijon, France in 1832. He was interested in construction at a very early age. He attended the École Polytechnique and later the College of Art and Manufacturing in Paris, graduated in 1855. And after graduation, he specialized in metal construction, most notably bridges. And he worked on several over the next few decades, letting mathematics find ways to build lighter and stronger structures. So he was very much an innovator and, as I'm going to touch here very shortly, very much an entrepreneur and an instigator of new designs and use of use of metal. And so one of Eiffel's first projects came just a few years after he graduated when he oversaw the building of an iron bridge at Bordeaux, France. And by 1866, so only almost like a decade later, Eiffel had set up his own company. So he graduates from college, 
gets involved in his engineering profession and quickly within a decade has now set up his own company because he's determined and, and figured out that there's an opportunity for him to be able to go out there, be innovative, and to not only be innovative, but be able to make money doing so. So by the time he designed uh, the uh, arched gallery of machines for the Paris exhibition of 1867, his reputation was solidified. And in 1876, he designed one of the few very, very iconic bridges that's uh, you know, really tied to Eiffel, that being the 525-foot steel arch Ponta Maria Pia Bridge over the Douro River in Porto, Portugal, which was complete the following year. So he builds this in uh, 1876, a couple decades after he's out of school. And working from those same designs, another 20 years later, he built the renowned 540-foot uh, Garabie Viaduct in Touré, France, which was suspended 400 feet above the surface of the water, and it was the highest bridge in the world for years after its construction. And it also served a lot in the design and the construction of the Eiffel Tower. So he borrowed from the uh, Gabriel Viaduct when he was doing the design for the Eiffel Tower. As his career advanced, Eiffel moved away from bridge work. And for example, in 1879, when he created the dome for the Astronomical Observatory in Nice, France, which was a notable structure because the dome actually moved. And that same year, when the Statue of Liberty's initial internal engineer, Eugène Vallée-Ledoux, unexpectedly died. Eiffel was brought in as the new engineer, and he created a new support system for the statue that would rely on a skeletal structure instead of weight to support the copper skin. And uh, he and his team built the statue from the ground up, then they dismantled it, put it on a boat, and shipped it across the Atlantic to New York Harbor. And uh, you know, thankfully, we have the opportunity to be able to enjoy that structure as well to this very day. So Eiffel's obviously very famous for what would become known as the Eiffel Tower, which was begun in 1887 for the 1889 Universal Exposition in Paris. The tower also directed Eiffel's interest into the field of aerodynamics, and he used the Eiffel Tower, that structure, for several experiments and built the first aerodynamic laboratory at its base, later moving that lab to the outskirts of Paris when uh, the tower became an uh, iconic tourist attraction. And, uh, and trust me, the day that I was there, there was certainly no wind tunnels um, or avionics or aerodynamic laboratories down there. There was just literally hundreds and hundreds of people. It was uh, absolutely crazy. So this lab included the first wind tunnel ever built, and his work there influenced some of the first aviators to include the Wright brothers, which is something I totally didn't know about until I started doing the research for this episode. Uh, he went on to write several books on aerodynamics Dynamics, most notably resistance of the air and aviation. And he also, later in his life, turned his interests into meteorology and in his final years studying that subject at great length before he finally passed away in December of 1923. So Eiffel was the perfect example of the 19th century engineer. He was inventive and daring. He was an entrepreneur. And in fact, his industriousness and ingenuity reminds me of those of James Eads, the famous American civil engineer who was working in the U.S. about the same period that Eiffel was working in Europe. I'll get into James Eads uh, in a future episode because some of the construction work that he did, uh, the one that I'm most familiar with being the Eads Bridge over the Mississippi in St. Louis, was absolutely phenomenal. And again, it was very much inventive and daring. And, and, and Eads was, a, was an entrepreneur as much as he was an engineer. So Eiffel entered the engineering profession at a major time of growth, stemming from several factors. The rapid economic expansion of Europe, it was at the height of the Industrial Revolution, and the appearance of new materials as rolled iron, which was lighter and cheaper than stone, and uh, you know, was a decisive progress in mechanics at the same time. So in this favorable context, Eiffel became an internationally renowned structural engineer, not only through the design of the world-famous Eiffel Tower, 
but he had a reputation that was built and established way before the Eiffel Tower was constructed. And it was really the result of the 300 or more structures that he built all over the world that included bridges, viaducts, roof structures, churches, train stations. Really phenomenal when you think about it. I mean, in the end, Eiffel was an industrious, ingenious, and continuously engaged engineer, learning, just constantly learning. No sooner would he finish a project than he was into his next one. Like I said, you know, completing over 300 projects during his career, which is an astonishing achievement. Um, Not one that's reached by many engineers, not only from the past, but even from today. It's 300 projects over an active career is is pretty, uh, very, very much impressive. Um, He was also a lifelong learner. He was curious, gaining new knowledge and moving into new areas of interest throughout his entire career in life. And as I mentioned already, in his late years, here's this gentleman still learning. He's now learning about meteorology and, and turning his interest to that and studying it and writing books. I mean, phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal individual. And these are definitely great career tips for any civil engineer interested in leading a fulfilling and rich career in life. Industry, be industrious, be ingenious, be continuously engaged in learning, always learning new things. And that, my fellow civil engineers, brings the main section of today's episode to a close. And although I'm flying solo on this episode, I'm not going to go away without answering the question that Anthony and I ask all of our guests that we have on the show, and that is, are there any specific rituals that I practice every day? For example, a specific morning ritual or a lunchtime ritual, things that I do consistently on a daily basis that contribute to my being a successful professional. And Anthony and I delved really deep into this daily routines and rituals uh, topic in episode 59 of the Engineering Career Coach podcast. You can check out the show notes uh, that are linked to this episode. Um, And mainly my my primary routine is in the morning, and it's become a very serious habit, one that I follow almost every day, and really have done a really good job of following almost every day for the last two years. Um, It it starts with waking between 5 and 5.30, just depends on what time I get to bed the night before. I drink 24 ounces of water as a hydrating cleanse, compliments of Sean Stevenson and the work that he does over at the SeanStevensonModel.com site, again, linked show notes. And then I get into a 15-minute mindfulness meditation. And this is my morning brain workout, something that I do even if I'm not going to do a physical workout, which is what typically follows next. But I always get that mindfulness meditation session, and it has proven to be a massive game changer for me um, and has really helped me out through some very challenging times and the good times both over the course of my life in the past two years that I've been sticking to it. And that's really the main part of it. If I do a physical workout, which would come after the uh, mindfulness meditation session, it's going to vary depending on what I do, where I do it, how I do it, how long. It really depends on whether or not I'm at home or if I'm traveling, if it's on the weekends, uh, at the weekends with family. Um, The schedule changes typically also because my gym opens up later in the weekends. Um, So if it is uh, the normal of the week, I'm at home. Um, We're talking high-intensity interval training on a speed bike. Uh, doing body weight only exercises or heavy weights. Again, it, it, it consistently changes just to keep things interesting for me when I'm in the gym. So that's it. I wake early, drink water, meditate, move, and then I get to it. And I try to do that every single day. It's been my routine, as I've already mentioned, for the best part of the past two years, and it has served me extremely well. So if you want more and to go into more detail on the rituals and the uh, processes that uh, Anthony and I use, predominantly in the morning and evening, go check out episode 59 of the Engineering Career Coach podcast. We found that these rituals that we do have been game changers for each of us with regards to our energy levels, our mental focus, and our effectiveness in both work and life. Really, uh, really awesome. 
And so with that, I'm going to end with this last element of actionable advice, your dose of civil engineering career enhancement mojo, and bring the show into the station. And it's what I consider to be one of the best decisions that I made in my career, and that was the decision to build a habit of physical training. Um, and that's right. It has nothing to do with the technical aspects of engineering, but everything to do with uh, the benefits that it's brought to my life and my career both. Um, and I wasn't an athlete in high school or college. In fact, music was really my passion. That's where I poured all my energy uh, during high school, was into music, performance, uh, playing music. Uh, but I did become extremely interested in weightlifting and running as a means to stay in top shape throughout my military career. Um, and I learned that mental focus and discipline that came from both of those activities. And uh, Driving through the routines, uh, workout routines, even when I didn't want to, getting myself out of the rack in the morning to go to the gym, even when all I wanted to do was reach over and slap the uh, snooze button. I'm convinced that without having this physical training regimen, that my body wouldn't have been uh, been capable of being able to go through a lot of the challenges that I experienced throughout my career. It would have also not kept my mind as sharp, and I just would have probably been in the generally less healthy state than I am right now. So I'm, I'm very, very happy that, that I made the decisions that I did early in my career, early in my life to get into this habit of almost daily workout. Um, I'd always have told people that, uh, you know, if you're traveling somewhere, it doesn't take up a lot of room to throw a pair of running shoes in your suitcase. You don't have to have a lot of uh, equipment or even a gym membership to roll out of the rack and do some planks or some push-ups in the morning. Uh, it's been something that I've done throughout my life to this point and something I continue uh, to look forward to doing it as long as I physically can. And, and really, again, I think it's been a major game changer for me in my career. So thank you, all of you, for the support that you've been showing Anthony and I on the podcast. We're here every week for you, so please let us know what you're thinking by visiting civilengineeringpodcast.com, submitting a question or a project, leaving a review on iTunes. We want to know what we can do to improve the show for you and for everyone else who's out there that's listening. And please remember that you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode number eight. And until next week, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering endeavors. Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com, where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success. Thank you.